Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. And welcome back to Habs Unfiltered. I'm your host, Blaine Putney, and I'm joined now by my co-host, Treg Wilson. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So, uh, Happy New Year to everyone who's uh, decided to join us again. Uh, it was a very eventful 2023 for the uh, the Canadians and for our podcast. It was busy. Yes, it was busy. Uh, so, hopefully everyone had a safe and happy New Year's celebration. And uh, they're not, you're not nursing too much of a hangover at the moment. Um I'm not. I, I had very few played board games basically with the kids. Um and you worked. Yeah, I was a bouncer at a bar, which wasn't very busy actually. So uh it really wasn't a bad night. Were you wearing lifts in your shoes to make yourself more imposing? No, no, didn't bother. No, didn't do no. that. No, only had to kick two people out. It was pretty uh pretty tame. Pretty tame. They went pretty easily. It wasn't really, wasn't that much of a trouble. Well, for downtown Halifax, only two people. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a, it was more of an upper scale type, like it's called niche. Uh, it's more of a lounge than a bar. It's not a dance bar or anything like that. So, but uh, yeah, just a couple people were a little bit. Still blurry. downtown Halifax. Still downtown Halifax. Yeah. So. So, uh, speaking about getting kicked out, uh, the Canadians uh, just finished the Florida leg of their trip, and they just got booted out of that state with no wins. Uh, that's not surprising. That's usually what happens when no. Montreal goes to Florida. Um, yeah, the Tampa so the, game... uh, the road tr- Yeah, oh, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, the Tampa uh, game, they, pro- they should have won the way they played, and really, it wasn't until... Of course, Tampa scored their first goal, and then it all went downhill from there. So, yeah. So all in all, the road trip is in two legs. The pre-Christmas part of the trip, they did really well. They were two and one. The post-Christmas part of the trip, which is still ongoing, they still have a game against Dallas tomorrow. They're zero and three. Carolina basically uh, whipped them. Florida just grinded them down. Uh, Tampa just beat the crap out of them with a comeback, like you mentioned. The Florida game, I mean, if you look back two years, Florida, the uh, the Canadians had an AHL team. And then last year they lost 7-2. to two. This year it was only 4-1. And the game against Tampa, you could argue the Canadians should have won that. Well, you could also argue the Florida game. It wasn't until Armia's penalty um, that if you actually watch the replay, OHL takes the helmet off him, or OEL takes the helmet but off it's, himself. It's Armia's fault for putting the But, I mean, on, it's, right? it's so... either interference or holding. It was going to be a penalty regardless of what happened. Exactly. And, and it was a needless penalty in the offensive zone. Like, he didn't need to do what he did. Um so, but after that power play goal, Montreal just deflated. And that was essentially the end of that game. But up until that point, even though Montreal was being outplayed by Florida, they were still in the game. They they were just a, a tip or a bad goal or a lucky bounce away from maybe getting a point, at least a point in overtime. Um, and I'm going to correct you, Blaine. There were 2-0-1 in the first three games because I oh had this I had this discussion on Twitter. The loser point is not technically a loss. Yes, it was a Leafs fan because I pointed out the Leafs are under 500 if you count their loser points. Um, <laughs> or five, either under, one under 500 or exactly 500 if you count the loser points. And they were like, ooh, ooh. anyway. So I'm going to correct you on that. It's technically not a loss, even though it's a loss, but not really a loss, but a loss. Well, they did lose in Minnesota. 
I thought they tied what lost in overtime. That was uh they won in overtime in Winnipeg. Uh was it an overtime game in Minnesota? E- either way, it doesn't matter. Either way. Either, either way, it's a loss, regardless. That's right. I was thinking I was thinking they got five out of six points, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Anyway. Either way. Move move on to Florida. They had two games. We're going into the third period. They had a chance to win the game. And well, they didn't. And for some reason, this team, and I guess it's a reflection of a, a young team or a rebuilding team or a you know a team that's just not there yet. They can't hold a lead. Uh every time Montreal gets a two-goal lead, you guarantee they're gonna blow it at some point or the other. Um I have not yet seen I'm seriously I haven't seen a game yet this year where they had a two goal lead maintained it at any point. I think I've seen them have two two goal leads in a game and blow both of them on several occasions. And I don't under I still can't to fathom why they keep doing that. Yet when they're down by two or three goals, they can come back and and I like I don't know if they they take their foot off the gas. I, I think maybe it's they get into that mentality, let's protect the two-goal lead. And we've talked about this years ago on the show, that that's kind of the worst thing you can do because yeah. you're just going to sit back. You're going to sit back, and you, the other team's going to gain momentum. And they just don't have the experience on the back end to sit back and and know when to push and when not to push. And, uh, yeah, and it, it just seems in this game when uh, – uh, point scored that goal to make it two to one. Um, you kind of knew the wheels were going to fall. You just had it in the back of your head, like, oh, this is good. And then you had that other goal. I mean, I argue Monty should have had it. Some people argue it was tipped. He had no chance, but either way, it, either way, it uh, went. And that made it, and that made it two two. And then Tampa kind of dominated the third, but it just goes to show skill. Tampa had the skill to do what they did where Montreal did not have the skill to maintain the lead. Although Suzuki and Caulfield had two of the most skilled goals I've seen in a long time from Montreal players. The backhand by Caulfield was amazing. In Florida, that, that one there, the power play goal. Yeah, well, even the one and the one here in, in Tampa Bay yep. uh, that, that he scored. Uh, oh, no, that was on. He took the puck away in the offense. Sorry, yeah, he took the puck away from uh, the defense. But, yeah, the backhand he scored in Florida – and then Suzuki's goal to make it four three in Tampa was just above the shoulder on the uh, on the on right the on stick the side. Was yeah, right on the goal line. It was just beautiful. Um, but if you want to look at the positive, they stayed in against as long as they could against two really good teams. Like even though Tampa's getting older and falling down, they're still one of the top teams in the league. Yeah. Florida is a as a cup contender as everyone. Uh, uh, seems to think they went to the finals last year and they stayed in the games with them. And and I'm going to look at that as a positive. Um, I wasn't expecting them to come away with four points or even uh, I would have been happy with two points, like, you know, maybe a lucky win or two overtime losses. But, uh, you know, uh, I thought Carolina was a game they might have been able to win uh, if they would have shot more because their goaltending is just horrendous. And yep. I, I just find uh, I just find they they try to be fancy, and I don't think they have the skill to be fancy. Just get the pucks on net, get the dirty goals, and uh, I think that's what this team got to do. Well, the Canadians do have some skill, but it's young and yeah. it's inexperienced. And I think you nailed it with the uh, the fact that they kind of let up. They get a lead. And they take the foot off the gas. They're not. They don't know how to finish off games yet. Mm. How to win games yet? They're still learning. Um, so they've got that aspect. They seem to want to play from behind because they can just go, 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 and there's no, there's no pressure. Mm. They're already down a goal or two. Well, if they lose, they lose. They give up a goal. They give up a goal. So they they push harder on the forecheck. When they have a lead, they seem to be uncomfortable because they're Timid. not. Yeah, it's the defensive side of the game that they're still a little bit tentative with. And that's going to come in time. But like I mentioned earlier, right off the top of the show, it's a this team is improving. You go you look two years back, last year to this year, and it's a team that has drastically improved. Now, going into this second half of the uh the road trip, 
the Canadians were only a couple of points out of a playoff spot. Now they're they're further back a little bit, but they were always there was always like four or five teams between them and that playoff spot because a few of the teams are not playing too well right now. So a shout out to our friend Matt Bedard, Scotian Canadian, who's adamant that they're going to make the playoffs this year, and for his sake, you know it'd be nice if they did, but realistically, probably not. I mean, if you look at the standings, they were five points out of a playoff spot, but they were also six points out of drafting sixth overall. I mean, they're in that, and really, they they weren't really gaining. They 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 won that two or three in a row, and I think they moved up two spots. They went from drafting tenth to drafting twelfth, and now they're drafting eighth or something like you know what I mean. Like it's just, and then you have the Ottawa Senators who were five games behind. They're starting to go on a little bit of a roll. Um, Edmonton Oilers, they had that really slow start. Now they're playing to where they should be playing. And it's like I said at the beginning of the season, this team's going to draft between 10 and 15 if they don't win the lotto. With If they're healthy, they're not that healthy. So they're probably going to draft maybe 5 to 10, 8 to 10 in that little little range. So for the people who want the progression forward, you're going to get it. For the people who want the tank and the draft as low as possible, even though they think management can't draft, which makes absolutely no sense to me, um, you know, then uh, then you're still going to get probably a top ten pick. And yeah, so currently, right now, as we record, the Canadians sit with the seventh overall pick, but they have a tw- uh, they're negative twenty three in goal differential, which is not very good. And no. you look down the uh, down on that line. Ottawa, who you talked about being several games, they hold four games in hand, and they're only a minus one in the goal differential. They're clearly going to be moving up. They are a better team at the moment. So the Canadians are probably going to drop down in the standings a little bit. But that all depends on what the other teams, some other teams do at the trade deadline, like Buffalo, Calgary. Those are the ones who are really in competition with to not slide too far down. And it really, it all depends on on what you believe this team is this year. Now, I personally don't believe it's a playoff team, but I don't believe it's a bottom five team. I didn't believe it was a bottom five team last year. Injuries forced it to be a bottom five team. Injuries this year is going to force it to be a, probably a bottom 10 team. Um, so the positive of that, though, is if team was fully healthy, I believe they could battle for that wild card spot, but they weren't going to be the team that you went, oh, they could slide in. They're going to be the team like, they're going to be there. They're going to be there. They're going to be there. Trade deadline's going to come around. And if management's smart, which I think they are, they're going to trade off their assets. So it's going to be like, you know, we could slip in, but really what are we going to do? You know what I mean? Yeah, and we'll talk about that in the second half of the show. But I want to take you back to the injuries. Okay. I'd like to talk a little bit about the recent injuries. So Christian Dvorak recently got uh, sent back to Montreal to be assessed. Yeah, uh, it's claims that he's going to be out indefinitely with an upper body injury. I'm not sure what it is. I never saw anything uh, in the Florida game. Um, I don't know. I thought he played the entire game. I don't think he left early or anything. Um, He did leave the game partway through the game, but he came back. And it could be that shoulder that caused him to miss the start of the season. Um, So, I mean... A lot of people don't like Dvorak. I think Dvorak's a great third line center, to be honest with you. He, he's he's yeah. good defensively. Um, I'm not a fan of him in the offensive zone because it seems like he's still not sure what to do when he's out there. Um, but sometimes he turns into that Dutch Gretzky Dale Weiss and pops that goal that you're not uh, you're not expecting, and it's like, holy, where did that come from? And, uh, but I, I love his defensive game and that's why I think, and he has offensive upside and that's why I think he's a perfect third line center. Uh, no more than that, like him playing as a second line center, I don't think is, uh, is viable. Um, it's kind of like David Savard, David Savard on a good team is a perfect bottom pairing defenseman who can slide up into that second pair or first pair on the occasion and do well. Um, Personally, I think he's doing an amazing job in Montreal as a as a top line defenseman with Matheson. But going back to the injuries, uh, this is just it's just piling on. You have him, you have Doc, you have Newhook, you have, I mean, uh, who else do we have? Uh, Doc, Newhook, Dvorak, 
uh, Harris uh, missed a bunch of time. Uh, RHP, he's he's still out uh, six to eight, and it's all six to eight weeks or doc the rest of the season. It's not one of those oh he'll be back in a in a in a few weeks. Uh, you know, even Jack guy I think was out three weeks um, when he was out. Harris was out a good two to three weeks. Uh, you know, Ooh. and yeah, uh, so Gooley was out. Uh, and it's just piled up. I mean, you may look at it and go, oh, it's just Dvorak. But like I said, now, now you have, uh, you know, who's going to come up? Lias Anderson, he, he, he's a good candidate to come Probably. up and, and, and play. He's, he's healthy now. Emile Him- Himmelman, and then you throw uh, uh, Evans back on the, for the center. But then you're still, miss. you know, you've got Mitchell Stevens as your fourth line center. Uh, so yeah. it, it's, uh, now you're getting into that, what we had last year, a lot of a the, when the RHPs came up and all these AHL players came up, and and uh, you know they had to take up a lot, lot of chunk of ice time and a lot of playing time because you didn't have anyone to fill in. And this is where Montreal's rebuild is where it's at. You don't have the depth right now to be successful when you have injuries. Now, no. if you look at Laval, if you look at Laval, you are going to have really good depth. In about a year or two, because you get your Waz, your Becks, your Messers, your your Meshacks, who I mean, I think is falling off the a cliff. But you know, you have all these guys, uh, uh, Farrells, uh, Gignacs, all these guys that are playing very well in the AHL, and you can bring them up to play. I mean, minus Waz, hopefully Messer, you can bring them up and play those bottom six yeah. minutes, and they're and they're and it's going to help their development, but not hurt. They're going to play where they're supposed to play. Whereas when you bring a guy up in the NHL, you want him to be ready to play in the position you think he should play when he's in the NHL. Yeah, like a Beck. Beck would be an ideal third line center at this a point. Perfect the way third he plays. line center. He's got yeah. some offense. He's really good defensively. He's great in the faceoff circle, which you can say is exactly what Dvorak is. He doesn't have a ton of offense, but he's got about, say, a 40-point upside, which is good I for think- a third liner. I think Beck's more offensively talented than Dvorak yes. is. So it's going to be, he will be an upgrade when he's ready to come to the NHL. Yeah. Uh, so but it's that defensive side and that face-off uh, prowess. That's, that's what the Canadians lose with Dvorak. Exactly. It's not sexy, but it's, it's something they need to stay competitive. It's what you need on your bottom six. And people don't understand this. Your top two lines are your scoring. I mean, maybe I'm old school. Maybe I'm old school. But your top two lines are your scoring line. Your third line is your swing line. That could put a good, good offensive pressure in, but they're there to, to help defend. And your fourth line is your, let's put these guys out for a 45-second shift and beat the crap out of the other team for a little bit with lots of good hits. The energy line is like they call it yeah, now. An energy line. They, they come out and they just give it to that team because they have all kinds of energy because they're only playing nine minutes, right? And then, however, if you don't have the right guys on that energy line, they're just going to come out and waste minutes. Like, right, Pizzetta's a good guy for an energy line because he comes out, he throws the hits, he skates hard, he goes after the puck, he keeps pressure on the team. Mitchell Stevens? He's a filler. Honestly, he's a filler. And and then you have Joel Armia, who, to me, He's like that uh, guy who you always want on the power play, but you never want him playing the rest of the game. He, you only want him on the PK and never play the rest of the game. Well, because that's he, if he's not in the box. Exactly, like because he's not—he's a good penalty killer. He is a good yeah. penalty killer. And the thing that I hate about Armia is sometimes you watch him and you're like, "Why is this guy so terrible?" <laughs> like he's he a fourth line Kovalev. He has this like you can—he can stick handle inside a shoebox around four players and then he has a brain fart as soon as he gets free and just throws it off somewhere or a blind back pass to nobody or shoot off into the net like i just don't get it and then he scores a goal and you're like where did that come from he's like a a a bottom six kovalev he'll play amazing every fifth game yeah and then when he plays amazing you're like why doesn't he do this every game yeah now, with with the injury, though, there will be a call-up, but I think this is more of an opportunity, because you're talking about an energy line. I think it's more of an opportunity for Yelonen, who has been in that energy line role, to step up. They can move Jake Evans down to the third line, 
and that opens up that top six role on the wing. Yolona can just step right into that, I think. Well, he played there last night, and I thought he did well. Like, I mean, he, yes. he didn't get any points, but he looked well. He didn't look out of place. His offensive IQ is is really, really good. And uh, anytime so far he's gotten a chance, and they've been very few, he's really stepped up, and he's really showed that he deserves to be there. Now, I don't know why he keeps getting buried on that fourth line, and Armia gets I'm, – I'm not sure. I don't think it's something that – St. Louis has against him. I think he just wants a little bit of offense on every line, and he doesn't have that with Pizzetta and Mitchell. So if you throw Yolonen in there, he has that chance to to put that uh, a little bit of offense into that line. Um, yeah. But when you don't have offense on your other lines, <laughs> and and I'll be honest, everyone goes about MSL or uh, MSL on this or Martin St. Louis on this. Burroughs does the offense for the five on five. Burroughs is the, is, he's not the power play guy. He's not the PK guy. He's the off five on five offense guy. And I don't know if he has a say in the lines or not, but uh, I think the Yolona should have been top six as soon as Newhook got injured personally. Cause I think he's, he, I think he's a, he's like a Lekkonen. I, I look at Yolonen and I look at yeah. I look at him like a Lekin and he he's solid defensively. I don't know if he's as defensive as Lekinen is. Um, no, no, but he's solid defensively. He has offensive skill. He can actually hit the net, which Lekinen had a hard time doing in Montreal. But uh, except in the playoffs, um, except in the playoffs and in Colorado, obviously. Uh, yeah. But uh, and I think yeah, give him a shot. Uh, like bring up uh, if. I'd rather than bring up Elias Anderson or someone like that over, say, Hymanen, because if you're just going to sit at Hymanen or just give him five minutes a game, what's the point? What's the let, let him get his minutes? That's I agree 100. percent That's yeah. this is the type of situation where calling up someone like Elias Anderson, who's the uh, you know second chance reclamation kind of guy, give him the bottom six minutes instead of pulling Hymanen up and making him play eight minutes a game, leave him down below where he can play 20 yeah. and then oh, Anderson or, gets his shot or bring up Yan Mysak or someone, you know, has fallen off the, the, the depth chart, bring him up. What's it going to hurt? Who knows? Yan Mysak might hit the NHL and all of a sudden become a 20 goal scorer in the NHL might be one of those can't do anything in the AHL, but for some reason he's in it. I doubt it, but you're not wasting that development by having them play eight minutes. I mean, we all preach, don't bring up Waugh, don't bring up Waugh, don't bring up Farrell, don't bring up, you know, maybe Gignac. I don't know where Gignac sits on their depth chart. He's he's, he's uh-huh. leading the Laval in scoring, but bring him up. Like, what what's it going to, depending on where you see him in your future, bring him up. Bring the guy up you don't see in your long-term plans. That's what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah, and with Gignac, uh, I don't think he has an NHL contract, so that's probably why they're not calling him up. Mm-hmm. But that's possible. I don't know. Yeah. I'd have to go on cap friendly. Uh, nope, he does not have an NHL contract, according well, to. Cap there Friendly. you go. And he's but, having a hell of a season. <laughs> yes, so. but if you look down at uh, at at Laval, there's a lot of really solid players. You can even call up a, a Nathan Nigetti. You know, the guy they picked yes. up in that trade over the summer. Yeah. Give him a chance. But I think if you're going to – you bring in a reclamation project like an Anderson, this is the ideal situation to call him up. If he does well, great. If he doesn't, who cares? It's a one-year deal, super cheap. You can send him back down to Laval and let him finish it off. It's it's the same scenario with Mitchell Stevens. Mitchell Stevens. Yeah. Bring him up. If he plays well, great. Thanks, man. And then maybe he earns himself a two-way contract or an NHL contract with another team next year. Or you say, hey, we're going to bring you back on a two-way contract. If we need you, we'll do the same thing we did last year. Something that the Canadians have been doing with some of these uh, uh, tweener-type players for the last few years. It's beneficial for everyone. They come in, they, they play some games, they make themselves look better, then they can get a contract somewhere. But a guy like Lyle Anderson... If yeah. he still thinks he can be a top player, you know, a, a, a good player, NHL steady player, he's going to come out and play his ass off. Well, he should come out and play his ass off to uh, 
to prove that, hey, you're only going to give me eight minutes. Well, I'm going to I'm going to take advantage of those eight minutes as much as I can. And he's an offensively gifted player. He's got he's got the offensive skill. He's got seven goals in 13 games down Laval. He was drafted in the top 10 for the Rangers. He he's he was an offensive player when he was drafted. So yeah. call him up. Who gives a shit? See yeah. what he does. Why not? And it gives, like I mentioned, Yalonen a better chance in a top six role. Uh, Evans can move back to center and raise his value a little bit if they ever decide to trade him down the road. And yeah, so I think that we can talk about the trade value and the upcoming trade deadline in our upcoming segment. So before we switch over, I wanted to just ask about the top line. I think that this top line with Suzuki, uh, Caulfield, and Slavkovsky has really started to take off. I think, and I mentioned this on Andrew Berkshire's show there the other day, Slavkovsky is turning that line into a high-generation top line in the NHL. And I'm not trying to say Slavkovsky is the greatest thing that ever happened since Wayne Gretzky. I'm trying to say his body his size and the way he's using it and winning the puck battles and creating open ice for Suzuki and Caulfield is turning that line into what we all hoped it would be uh, when it first got together. He, Slavkowski, is giving the open ice so that Caulfield and Suzuki can score the points and get get the goals, and it's just working perfectly for them. It's what we thought Anderson would do last year when when he was put on that line. Yeah, and and, and he's already and he's already uh, outscored what he had last last year. He only had ten points. Now he's got thirteen. And if you look at the last five games, he's got five points. Yeah, yeah, and it's all because he's given Suzuki. I mean, Suzuki's the playmaker on that line. Suzuki's running yeah. that line. He's quarterback in that line. Caulfield's the goal scorer, and he Slavkowski's the big body power forward who's opening the ice up for those two young guys. Because I mean. Has he ever lost a board battle? Rarely, if ever. Like, you understand what I'm saying? And as he's board battling, he's so strong, he can look up, look to see where everybody is, then get back down to fighting for the puck, get it out, and get it to someone that's open. If Matheson would only pass it to him on the power play, he'd probably have 40 points. Matheson is the Petrie to Caulfield. Matheson to Slavkowski is the Petrie to Caulfield. That's exactly what it is. Caulfield's over there covered by two people. Matheson's like, oh, you can do this, Cole. Slavkowski's like, I'm still here. <laughs> Wide open, perfect uh, passing lane. I'm right here. <laughs> and it's, it's hard to miss him. He's huge. One thing Just... I'll say about Slavkowski is he's shooting more, but he waits too long to take a shot. Yeah, I mentioned that on uh, Twitter the other day because yeah. you watch him. Yeah, he's shooting, but he's double clutching he gets the puck and he looks and waits and then shoots he needs to know where he wants to put the puck before the puck's on his stick yeah so he can react right away he's been doing that with other portions of his game like you mentioned the the head up and the swivel and scanning the ice the the board battles he's already pre-planned what he's going to do these are all steps that he's taken in just this last year so by the end of the season, I'm expecting him to be able to do the shooting as well, being being able to get those shots off right away, get his shots through. Maybe not score a ton of goals, but get shots on net. He's going to have 30 points by the end of the season. Mark my words. I think so. Bookmark this thing. It's very possible that he will. Yeah. If he stays points. on this top line. Yeah. He's, he's point per game on this road trip anyway. Point per game for the rest of his career. Don't bookmark that. <laughs> yeah, he's no uh, Robertson with the Leafs now. Come on. Anyway, uh, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back in the next segment, we'll talk about the, uh, the trade deadline. We'll be back after this. <clears throat> And welcome back to Habs Unfiltered. I'm your host, Blaine Padme, and I'm joined now by my co-host, Craig Wilson. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. 
So uh, happy new year to everyone who's uh, decided to join us again. Uh, it was a very eventful 2023 for the, uh, the Canadians and for our podcast. It was busy. Yes, it was busy. Uh, so hopefully everyone had a safe and happy new year's celebration and uh, they're not, you're not nursing too much of a hangover at the moment. Um, I'm not, I, I had very few played board games basically with the kids. Um, and you worked. Yeah. I was a bouncer at a bar, which wasn't very busy actually. So, uh, it really wasn't a bad night. Were you wearing lifts in your shoes to make yourself more imposing? No, no, didn't bother. No, didn't do no. that. No, only had to kick two people out. It was pretty, uh, pretty tame. Pretty tame. They went pretty easily. It wasn't really, wasn't that much of a trouble. Well, for downtown Halifax, only two people. That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a, it was more of an upper scale type, like it's called niche. Uh, it's more of a lounge than a bar. It's not a dance bar or anything like that. So, but uh, yeah, just a couple people were a little bit. Still blurry. downtown Halifax. Still downtown Halifax. Yeah. So. So, uh, speaking about getting kicked out, uh, the Canadians uh, just finished the Florida leg of their trip, and they just got booted out of that state with no wins. Uh, that's not surprising. Usually what happens when no. Montreal goes to Florida. Um, the yeah, Tampa so the, game... uh, the road tr- Yeah, oh, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, the Tampa game, they, pro- they should have won the way they played, and really, it wasn't until... Course, Tampa scored their first goal, and then it all went downhill from there. So, yeah. So, all in all, the road trip is in two legs. The pre Christmas part of the trip, they did really well. They were two and one. The post Christmas part of the trip, which is still ongoing, they still have a game against Dallas tomorrow. They're 0 and 3. Carolina basically uh, whipped them. Florida just grinded them down. Uh, Tampa just beat the crap out of them with a comeback, like you mentioned. The Florida game, I mean, if you look back two years, Florida, the uh, the Canadians had an AHL team. And then last year they lost 7-2. to two. This year it was only 4-1. And the game against Tampa, you could argue the Canadians should have won that. Well, you could also argue the Florida game. It wasn't until Armia's penalty um, that if you actually watch the replay, OHL takes the helmet off him, or OEL takes the helmet but off it's, himself. It's Armia's fault for putting the But I mean, on, it's, right? it's so, either interference or holding. It was going to be a penalty regardless of what happened. Exactly. And, and it was a needless penalty in the offensive zone. Like, he didn't need to do what he did. Um so, but after that power play goal, Montreal just deflated. And that was essentially the end of that game. But up until that point, even though Montreal was being outplayed by Florida, they were still in the game. They they were just a, a tip or a bad goal or a lucky bounce away from maybe getting a point, at least a point in overtime. Um, and I'm going to correct you, Blaine. There were two 0-1 in the first three games because I oh had this – I had this discussion on Twitter. The loser point is not technically a loss. Yes, it was a Leafs fan because I pointed out the Leafs are under 500 if you count their loser points. Um, <laughs> or five, either under one under 500 or exactly 500 if you count the loser points. And they were like, ooh, ooh. anyway. So I'm going to correct you on that. It's technically not a loss, even though it's a loss, but not really a loss, but a loss. They did lose in Minnesota. I thought they tied, lost in overtime. That was, uh, they won in overtime in Winnipeg. Uh, was it an overtime game in Minnesota? E- either way, it doesn't matter. Either way. Either, either way, it's a loss, regardless. That's right. I was thinking I was thinking they got five out of six points, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. Anyway. Either way. Move, move on to Florida. They had two games were going into the third period. They had a chance to win the game, and, well, they didn't. And for some reason, this team, and I guess it's a reflection of a, a young team or a rebuilding team or a 
you know, a team that's just not there yet. They can't hold a lead. Uh, every time Montreal gets a two-goal lead, you guarantee they're going to blow it at some point or the other. Um, I have not yet seen – seriously, I haven't seen a game yet this year where they had a two-goal lead and maintained it at any point. I think I've seen them have two two-goal leads in a game and blow both of them on several occasions. And I don't under – I still can't fathom – why they keep doing that yet when they're down by two or three goals they can come back and and i like i don't know if they they take their foot off the gas i i think maybe it's they get into that mentality let's protect the two goal lead and we've talked about this years ago on the show that that's kind of the worst thing you can do because you're just going to sit back you're going to sit back and the other team's going to gain momentum and they just don't have the experience on the back end to sit back and and know when to push and when not to push. And, uh, yeah, and it, it just seems in this game when uh, uh, Point scored that goal to make it 2-1, to one, um, you kind of knew the wheels were going to fall. You just had it in the back of your head, like, oh, this is good. And then you had that other goal. I mean, I argue Monty should have had it. Some people argue it was tipped. He had no chance, but either way. It, either way. It went- uh, and that made it. And that made it two two, and then Tampa kind of dominated the third. But it just goes to show skill. Tampa had the skill to do what they did, where Montreal did not have the skill to maintain the lead. Although Suzuki and Caulfield had two of the most skilled goals I've seen in a long time from Montreal players. The backhand by Caulfield was amazing. In Florida, that, that one there, the power play goal. Yeah, well, even the one and the one here in, in Tampa Bay. Yep. Uh, that that he scored. Uh, oh no, that was on. He took the puck away in the offense. Sorry, yeah, he took the puck away from uh, the defensive. But yeah, the backhand he scored in Florida, and then Suzuki's goal to make it four three in Tampa was just above the shoulder on the uh, on the on right the on stick side. So was yeah, right on the goal line. It was just beautiful. Um, but if you want to look at the positive, they stayed in against as long as they could against two really good teams. Like even though Tampa's getting older and falling down, they're still one of the top teams in the league. Yeah. Florida is a as a cup contender as everyone uh, uh seems to think they went to the finals last year and they stayed in the games with them and and I'm going to look at that as a positive um I wasn't expecting them to come away with four points or even uh, I would have been happy with two points like you know maybe a lucky win or two overtime losses but uh you know uh, I thought Carolina was a game they might have been able to win uh if they would have shot more because their goaltending is just horrendous. And yep. I just find uh, I just find they, they try to be fancy, and I don't think they have the skill to be fancy. Just get the pucks on net, get the dirty goals. And uh, I think that's what this team got to do. Well, the Canadians do have some skill, but it's young and yeah. it's inexperienced. And I think you nailed it with the, uh, the fact that they kind of let up. They get a lead. And they take the foot off the gas. They're not, they don't know how to finish off games yet, mm. how to win games yet. They're still learning. Um, so they've got that aspect. They seem to want to play from behind because they can just go, go, go. And there's no, there's no pressure. Mm. They're already down a goal or two. Well, if they lose, they lose. They give up a goal, they give up a goal. So they, they push harder on the forecheck. When they have a lead, they seem to be uncomfortable because they're Timid. not. Yeah, it's the defensive side of the game that they're still a little bit tentative with. Yeah. And that's going to come in time. But like I mentioned earlier, right off the top of the show, it's a this team is improving. You go you look two years back, last year to this year, and it's a team that has drastically improved. Now, going into this second half of the uh the road trip, the Canadians were only a couple of points out of a playoff spot. Now they're they're further back a little bit, but they were always, there was always like four or five teams between them and that playoff spot because a few of the teams are not playing too well right now. So a shout out to our friend, Matt Bedard, Scotian Canadian, who's adamant that they're going to make the playoffs this year. And for his sake, you know, it'd be nice if they did, but realistically, probably not. I mean, if you look at the standings, they were five points out of a playoff spot, but they were also six points out of drafting sixth overall. I yeah. mean, they're in that, and really, they they weren't really gaining. 
they 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 won that two or three in a row, and I think they moved up two spots. They went from drafting tenth to drafting twelfth, and now they're drafting eighth or something like you know what I mean. Like it's just, and then you have the Ottawa Senators who were five games behind. They're starting to go on a little bit of a roll. Um, Edmonton Oilers they had that really slow start. Now they're playing to where they should be playing, and it's like I said at the beginning of the season, this team's going to draft between 10 and 15. If they don't win the lotto with, if they're healthy, they're not that healthy. So they're probably going to draft maybe five to 10, eight to 10 in that little, little range. So for the people who want the progression forward, you're going to get it for the people who want the tank and the draft as low as possible, even though they think management can't draft, which makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, you know, then, uh, then you're still going to get probably a top 10 pick. And yeah. So currently right now, as we record the Canadians sit with the seventh overall pick, but they have a, tw- uh, their negative 23 in goal differential, which is not very good. And no. you look down the, uh, down on that line, Ottawa, who you talked about being several games, they hold four games in hand and they're only a minus one in the goal differential. They're clearly going to be moving up. Yeah. They're, they are a better team at the moment. So the Canadians are probably going to drop down in the standings a little bit. But that all depends on what the other teams, some other teams do at the trade deadline, like Buffalo, Calgary. Those are the ones who are really in competition with to not slide too far down. And it really, it all depends on on what you believe this team is this year. Now, I personally don't believe it's a playoff team, but I don't believe it's a bottom five team. I didn't believe it was a bottom five team last year. Injuries forced it to be a bottom five team. Injuries this year is going to force it to be a, probably a bottom 10 team. Um, so the positive of that, though, is if team was fully healthy, I believe they could battle for that wild card spot, but they weren't going to be the team that you went, oh, they could slide in. They're going to be the team like they're going to be there. They're going to be there. They're going to be there. Trade deadline's going to come around. And if management's smart, which I think they are, they're going to trade off their assets. So it's going to be like, you know, we could slip in, but really, what are we going to do? You know what I mean? Yeah, and we'll if talk they... about that in the second half yeah. of the show. But I want to so... take you back to the injuries. Okay. I'd like to talk a little bit about the recent injuries. So Christian Dvorak recently got uh, sent back to Montreal to be assessed. Yeah, uh, it's claims that he's going to be out indefinitely with an upper body injury. Yeah. I'm not sure what it is. I never saw anything uh, in the Florida game. Um, I don't know. I thought he played the entire game. I don't think he left early or anything. Um, he did leave the game partway through the game, but he came back and it could be that shoulder that caused him to miss the start of the season. Um, so I mean, a lot of people don't like Dvorak. I think Dvorak's a great third line center, to be honest with you. He, he's, he's good defensively. Um, I'm not a fan of him in the offensive zone because it seems like he, still not sure what to do when he's out there um but sometimes he turns into that dutch gretzky dale weiss and pops that goal that you're not uh you're not expecting and it's like holy where did that come from and uh but i i love his defensive game and that's why i think and he has offensive upside and that's why i think he's a perfect third line center uh no more than that like him playing as a second line center i don't think is uh is viable um it's kind of like David Savard. David Savard on a good team is a perfect bottom pairing defenseman who can slide up into that second pair or first pair on the occasion and do well. Um, personally, I think he's doing an amazing job in Montreal as a as a top line defenseman with Matheson. But going back to the injuries, uh, this is just it's just piling on. You have him. You have Doc. You have Newhook. You have, I mean. Uh, who else do we have? Uh, Doc, Newhook, Dvorak. Uh, Harris uh, missed a bunch of time. Uh, RHP, he's he's still out. Uh, six to eight, and it's all six to eight weeks. Or Doc, the rest of the season. It's not one of those. Oh, he'll be back in a in a in a few weeks. Uh, you know, even Jack I think was out three weeks um, when he was out. Harris was out a good two to three weeks. Uh, you know, Ooh. and. Yeah, uh, so Gooley was out, uh, and it's just piled up. I mean, you may look at it and go, oh, it's just Dvorak, but like I said, now now you have uh, 
you know, who's going to come up? Elias Anderson. He he he's a good candidate to come Probably. up and, and play. He's he's healthy now. Emil Himmelman, and then you throw uh, uh, Evans back on the for the center. But then you're still miss. You know, you got Mitchell Stevens as your fourth line center. Uh, so yeah. it's uh, now you're getting into that what we had last year. A lot of a the, when the RHPs came up and all these AHL players came up, and and uh, you know they had to take up a lot lot of chunk of ice time and a lot of playing time because you didn't have anyone to fill in. And this is where Montreal's rebuild is where it's at. You don't have the depth right now to be successful when you have injuries. Now, no. if you look at Laval, if you look at Laval, you are going to have really good depth in about a year or two because you get your Waz, your Becks, your Messers, your, your Meshacks who... I mean, I think it's falling off the, the cliff, but you know, you have all these guys, the uh, uh, Farrells, uh, Gignacs, all these guys that are playing very well in the AHL, and you can bring them up to play. I mean, minus Wad, hopefully Messer, you can bring them up and play those bottom six yeah. minutes, and they're and they're and it's going to help their development, but not hurt. They're going to play where they're supposed to play. Whereas when you bring a guy up in the NHL, you want him to be ready to play in the position you think he should play when he's in the NHL. Yeah, like a Beck. Beck would be an ideal third line center at this point. Perfect third line center. He's got some offense. He's really good defensively. He's great in the faceoff circle, which you can say is exactly what Dvorak is. He doesn't have a ton of offense, but he's got about, say, a 40-point upside, which is good for a third liner. I think Beck's more offensively talented than Dvorak is. So it's going to be, he will be an upgrade when he's ready to come to the NHL. Yeah. so, but it's that defensive side and that face-off uh, prowess. That's that's what the Canadians lose with Dvorak. Exactly. It's not sexy, but it's it's something they need to stay competitive. It's what you need on your bottom six, and people don't understand yeah. this. Your top two lines are your scoring. I mean, maybe I'm old school. Maybe I'm old school, but your top two lines are your scoring line. Your third line is your swing line that could put a good good offensive pressure in, but they're there to, to help defend. And your fourth line is your, let's put these guys out for a 45-second shift and beat the crap out of the other team for a little bit with lots of good hits. The energy line is like they call it now. An energy line. They, they come out and they just give it to that team because they have all kinds of energy because they're only playing nine minutes, right? And then, however, if you don't have the right guys on that energy line, they're just going to come out and waste minutes. Like, right, Pizzetta's a good guy for an energy line because he comes out, he throws the hits, he skates hard, he goes after the puck, he keeps pressure on the team. Mitchell Stevens? He's filler. Honestly, he's filler. He's filler. And, and then you have Joel Armia, who, to me, he's like that uh, guy who you always want on the power play, but you never want him playing the rest of the game. He, You only want him on the PK and never play the rest of the game. Well, that's he, if he's not in the box. Exactly. Like, because he's not, he's a good penalty killer. He is a good yeah. penalty killer. And the thing yeah. that I hate about Armia is sometimes you watch him and you're like, why is this guy so terrible? <laughs> like, he he's has a fourth line Kovalev. He has this, like, you can, he can stick handle inside a shoebox around four players. And then he has a brain fart as soon as he gets free and just throws it off somewhere or a blind back pass to nobody or, shoot off into the net like i just don't get it and then he scores a goal and you're like where did that come from he's like a a a bottom six kovalev he'll play amazing every fifth game yeah and then when he plays amazing you're like why doesn't he do this every game yeah now with with the injury though there will be a call-up but i think this is more of an opportunity because you're talking about an energy line i think it's more of an opportunity for yellonen who has been in that energy line role to step up. They can move Jake Evans down to the third line and that opens up that top six role on the wing. Yolona can just step right into that, I think. Well, he played there last night and I thought he did well. Like, I mean, he, yes. he didn't get any points, but he looked well. He didn't look out of place. His offensive IQ is is really, really good. And uh, anytime so far he's gotten a chance and they've been very few, he's really stepped up and he's really showed that he deserves to be there. Now, I don't know why he keeps getting buried on that fourth line and Armia gets I'm I'm not sure. I don't think it's something that St. Louis has against him. I think he just wants 
a little bit of offense on every line, and he doesn't have that with Pizzetta and Mitchell. So if you throw Yelonen in there, he has that chance to to put that uh, a little bit of offense into that line. Um, yeah. But when you don't have offense on your other lines, <laughs> and and I'll be honest, everyone goes about MSL or uh, MSL on this or Martin St. Louis on this. Burroughs does the offense for the five on five. Burroughs is the is he's not the power play guy. He's not the PK guy. He's the off five on five offense guy. And I don't know if he has a say in the lines or not, but uh, I I think that Yolona should have been top six as soon as Newhook got injured personally because I think he's he I think he's a he's like a Lekkonen. I I look at Yolonen and I look at yeah. I look at him like a Lekkonen and he he's solid defensively. I don't know if he's as defensive as Lekkonen is. Um, no, no, but he's solid defensively. He has offensive skill. He can actually hit the net, which Lekkonen had a hard time doing in Montreal. But uh, except in the playoffs, um, except in the playoffs and in Colorado, obviously. Uh, yeah. But uh, and I think yeah, give him a shot. Uh, like bring up uh, if. I'd rather them bring up Elias Anderson or someone like that over, say, Hymanen, because if you're just going to sit at Hymanen or just give him five minutes a game, what's the point? What's the let, let him get his minutes? That's I agree 100. percent That's yeah. this is the type of situation where calling up someone like Elias Anderson, who's the uh, you know second chance reclamation kind of guy, give him the bottom six minutes instead of pulling Hyman up and making him play eight minutes a game, leave him down below. Where he can play twenty, yeah, and then oh, Anderson or, gets his shot, or bring up Yan Mysak or someone you know has fallen off the 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 depth chart. Bring him up. What's it going to hurt? Who knows? Yan Mysak might hit the NHL and all of a sudden become a twenty goal scorer in the NHL. Might be one of those can't do anything in the AHL, but for some reason he's in it. I doubt it, but you're not wasting that development by having them play eight minutes. I mean, we all preach, don't bring up Watt, don't bring up Watt, don't bring up Farrell, don't bring up, you know, maybe Gignac. I don't know where Gignac sits on their depth chart. He's he's, he's uh, leading the Laval in scoring, but bring him up. Like, what what's it going to, depending on where you see him in your future, bring him up. Bring the guy up you don't see in your long-term plans. That's what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah, and with Gignac, uh, I don't think he has an NHL contract, so that's probably why they're not calling him up. But that's possible. I don't know. Yeah. I'd have to go on cap friendly. Uh, nope, he does not have an NHL contract, according well, to. Cap there friendly. you go. And he's but, having a hell of a season. Yes, <laughs> but if you look down at uh, at at Laval, there's a lot of really solid players. You can even call up a, a Nathan Bigetti. You know, the guy they picked yes. up in that trade over the summer. Yeah. Give him a chance. But I think if you're going to you bring in a reclamation project like an Anderson, this is the ideal situation to call him up. If he does well, great. If he doesn't, who cares? It's a one-year deal, super cheap. You can send him back down to Laval and let him finish it off. It's it's the same scenario with Mitchell Stevens. Mitchell Stevens. Yeah. Bring him up. If he plays well, great. Thanks, man. And then maybe he earns himself a two-way contract or an NHL contract with another team next year. Or you say, hey, Which, we're going to bring you back on a two-way contract. If we need you, we'll do the same thing we did last year. Something that the Canadians have been doing with some of these uh, uh, tweener-type players for the last few yeah. years. Yeah. It, it, it It's beneficial for everyone. Yep. They I come agree. in, they, they play some games, they make themselves look better, then they can get a contract somewhere. But a guy like Lyle Anderson... If he yeah. still thinks he can be a top player, you know, a, a, a good player, NHL steady player, he's going to come out and play his ass off. Well, he should come out and play his ass off to uh, to prove that. Hey, you're only going to give me eight minutes. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take advantage of those eight minutes as much as I can. And he's an offensively gifted player. He's got he's got the offensive skill. He's got seven goals in thirteen games down Laval. He was drafted in the top ten for the Rangers. He, he's he was an offensive player when he was drafted. So yeah. call him up. Who gives a shit? See yeah. what he does. Why not? And it gives, like I mentioned, Yalonen a better chance in a top six role. Uh, Evans can move back to center and raise his value a little bit if they ever decide to trade him down the road. 
And yeah, so I think that we can talk about the trade value and the upcoming trade deadline in our upcoming segment. So before we switch over, I wanted to just ask about the top line. I think that this top line with Suzuki, uh, Caulfield, and Slavkovsky has really started to take off. I think, and I mentioned this on Andrew Berkshire's show there the other day, Slavkovsky is turning that line into a high-generation uh, top line in the NHL. And I'm not trying to say Slavkovsky is the greatest thing that ever happened since Wayne Gretzky. I'm trying to say his body his size and the way he's using it and winning the puck battles and op- creating open ice for Suzuki and Caulfield is turning that line into what we all hoped it would be uh, when it first got together. He, Slavkowski, is giving the open ice so that Caulfield and Suzuki can score the points and get their get the goals, and it's just working perfectly for them. It's what we thought Anderson would do last year when they when he was put on that line. Yeah, and and, and he's already and he's already uh, outscored what he had last year. Last year he only had ten points. Now he's got thirteen. And if you look at the last five games, he's got five points. Yeah, yeah, and it's all because he's given Suzuki. I mean, Suzuki's the playmaker on that line. Suzuki's running yeah. that line. He's quarterback in that line. Caulfield's the goal scorer, and he Slavkowski's the big body power forward who's opening the ice up for those two young guys. Because I mean. Has he ever lost a board battle? Rarely, if ever. Like, you understand what I'm saying? And as he's board battling, he's so strong, he can look up, look to see where everybody is, then get back down to fighting for the puck, get it out, and get it to someone that's open. If Matheson would only pass it to him on the power play, he'd probably have 40 points. Matheson is the Petri to Caulfield. Matheson Slavkowski is the Petri to Caulfield. That's exactly what it is. Caulfield's over there covered by two people. Matheson's like, oh, you can do this, Cole. Slavkowski's like, I'm still here. (laughs) Wide open, perfect uh, passing lane. I'm right here. (laughs) And it's it's hard to miss him. He's huge. One thing I'll say about Slavkowski is he's shooting more, but he waits too long to take a shot. Yeah, I mentioned that on uh, Twitter the other day because you watch him. Yeah, he's shooting, but he's double clutching. He gets the puck and he looks and waits and then shoots. He needs to know where he wants to put the puck before the puck's on his stick. Yeah. So he can react right away. He's been doing that with other portions of his game. Like you mentioned, the the head up and the swivel and scanning the ice, the the board battles. He's already pre-planned what he's going to do. These are all steps that he's taken in just this last year. So by the end of the season, I'm expecting him to be able to do the shooting as well, being being able to get those shots off right away, get his shots through. Maybe not score a ton of goals, but get shots on net. He's going to have 30 points by the end of the season. Mark my words. I think so. Bookmark this thing. <laughs> Very possible that he will, yeah. Only if he stays points. on this top line, yeah. He's he's point per game on this road trip anyway. Point per game for the rest of his career. Don't bookmark that. <laughs> yeah, he's no uh, Robertson with the Leafs now. Come on. Anyway, uh, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back in the next segment, we'll talk about the uh, the trade deadline. We'll be back after this looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain App, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. 
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.